Welcome to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. Today we'll start, Sunday we'll, we'll continue, and then on, on Wednesday we'll finish. So it's a three-part series, but I have to first of all lay a foundation. Let's pray. Let's get into the Word. Father, thank you because I'm anointed to teach. Thank you because your people are anointed to receive. And together our faith is built up in the knowledge of the person of Jesus. I pray that light and understanding will come forth in and through your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Now, it's important for us to understand that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, one, the, the greatest figure that shaped Christianity is Apostle Paul. Apart from the Lord. Uh, because Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He wrote so much about the revelation of the new creation. And so, we would call these Paul's prayers for the believer. And, and the reason this really came up in my heart, um, I, I watched a video, or where, uh, well, I've started planning to teach this, but I saw a video where uh, someone said something and it was like you know I was praying this number of hours I finished praying and then you know some spiritual attacks would come and then I would pray more and, and, and you know I was just asking my wife like, people don't understand what prayer is for the New Testament believer and it is foundational that we go back to scriptures and allow scriptures shape our understanding where this is concerned First of all, let's say prayer is fundamental to the Christian life, okay? Jesus modeled for us a consistent prayer life. What Jesus modeled for us is a consistent prayer life. Now, pay attention to this. Jesus did not model for us prayer conferences and prayer meetings. Jesus modeled for us that prayer was a way to live. Now, let's look at this. Luke chapter 3 verse 21. Luke 3, 21. Uh, pay attention to Luke 3, 21 at the River Jordan. Luke 3, 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. So you realize that a lot of people were coming to be baptized by John. But what differentiated Jesus was while he was being baptized, he was also doing something else. What was he doing? He was praying. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. So you realize that it was not only Jesus that was baptized by John the Baptist. Other people were baptized. But something stood out in the life of Jesus. It says Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. So we realize that Jesus had a prayer life that even during the baptism, he was praying. And like I always say, why was Jesus praying? He did not have a wife that was disturbing him. He wasn't looking for breakthrough. Even at this time, they haven't started chasing him to kill him. Are you following this? So why was he praying? Because you find out, and I said this I think on Sunday, that when many people relocate out of this country for education or for something, then you almost realize like their spiritual life is going back. 
And then they start saying, oh, the things you people pray for in Africa is because you don't have a good, a good government. Uh, you know, you people in Africa just waste your time. Christianity is not as hard as it, as it is in here. Yeah, we even drink, drink juice in the morning. We don't cast out wizards. Now, the reality is because the way they were trained was that prayer was to, to fight those things. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And you know, if you are here, you know, maybe in the night, cockroach runs across, then you, you, you pour uh, olive oil. But you realize you are there, there's proper fumigation, there's no cockroach, there's no bed, there's nothing, there's nothing to attribute witchcraft to. So you realize that your prayer life is need-centered. And that's why sometimes when we begin to prosper, we now look at poor Christians as the ones that are struggling to serve God. And so you watch comedians sometimes say, you know, when you are not, when you are, when you are, how do you it? When you are poor, you know, you see a poor man's prayer is far dense. But when you are rich, you, you know, even your tongues will change. And, and we think it's funny, but that's not scriptural because the Bible says, according to the book of Hebrews, that in the days of his flesh, he prayed with tears. Why was Jesus praying and blood was coming out of his uh, veins? He wasn't poor. And so, if we, if we see prayer as just a need-meeting mechanism, then we would have issues with our prayer life. Are you following this? Mark one thirty-five. the Bible says, Jesus rose up while it is yet day, or rose up early in the morning, I'm paraphrasing, and got up and went to a secluded place to pray. So, Jesus had a prayer life. Mark 1, 35. 35. 35. 35. <laughs> okay, so Mark 1, 35. It says, Jesus, you know, while it's yet day, rose up to pray. While it's morning, rose up to pray. So why would Jesus get up, praise God, in the early morning, while it's still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. Why would Jesus get up this early to pray? What was he praying for? So we realize that prayer to Jesus was not something to do. It was something he was. It was a life. It was a culture. So even baptism, he prayed. While he was in the house, he got up early. And we have scriptures that talked about praying all night. Okay? Now, Luke 11 now tells us something. So I want to shift to the disciples. Luke chapter 11 verse 1. You would find... It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, and you cannot separate the life of Jesus from prayer. You cannot separate the life of Jesus from what? From prayer. He constantly prayed. He constantly prayed. In fact, when Jesus says, I do nothing except what I see the Father do, it was because he had a prayer life that was in sync with the Father. You know, one of the most... I wouldn't call it embarrassing, but one of the questions you can ask believers and they readily would not find answer for you is this thing that you're doing, have you prayed about it? Or, are you sure you're doing what God wants you to do? Because what we have done is, over the time, we've so trained our logical mind that we can plan our life out without praying to God. It is when we now encounter problem, we now call God to come and to come and rescue us. Are you following that? So there are things we just say, I can handle this. We don't need to bother God. No, that's not how the believer lives. The believer lives with a constant prayer posture. So that whatever you are doing is in sync with what God is doing. But let's look at this. Luke chapter 11 verse 1. It happened that when Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, 
teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. Now, I need you to pay attention to this. Number, uh, two things you need to pay attention to. Number one, they requested that they be taught to pray. They requested that they be taught to pray. Now, it does not mean that they have not been praying. It doesn't mean they have not been praying. He said, teach us to pray. Now, they rephrase that John taught his disciples to pray. So that means that the believer needs to be taught how to pray. The child of God needs to be taught how to pray. Because most times, we preach prayer by observation, not by teaching. So we just observe. For instance, you go to a church where everybody's praying, like, oh Father, oh Father, oh Father. You won't even ask why they are doing like that. Maybe it's the pastor's wives that the pastor's wife that pray like that, and everybody models, you know, after that. Even when you get to the church and you're standing straight, the way everybody will look at you, you won't even know when you you will join them. So now we pray like this, as if that's condition for answered prayers. All right. So most times we learn prayer by observation, not by teaching, and that's where the problem is. So you go somewhere and they raise a prayer point and, you know, it, it feels really good. What happens? When you go home, you start praying it. Whether it's scriptural or not. So, they said, uh, the disciple says, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. So two things we said should pick out. Number one, uh, they ask to be taught. So prayer can be taught. A man can be taught how to pray. Number two, um, John was taught, uh, John taught his disciples how to pray. Okay, now, third point I want you to get here. He said, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. What that means is this. If you hear John's disciples praying, you will know that these are John's disciples. Pay, pay very close attention to this. That means a man's prayer life is a product of his doctrine. That means a man's prayer life reflects the teachings he has accepted. So, I don't even know, need to know who your pastor is. I don't need to know where you go to. If I hear you pray, I can tell whose disciple you are. So, that means... Pay attention to this. It is doctrine that informs prayer. It is knowledge that informs prayer. It is teaching that informs prayer. So people pray based on what they've been taught. What that means is that if a man is taught inaccurately, his prayer life will be inaccurate. If a man is taught wrong doctrine, his prayer life will be wrong doctrinally. His prayer life will not be consistent to doctrine. That is why Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Hey, hey, you've got to teach us to pray. Let's, let, let's learn how to pray. Now, I'll look at the first line. I'll look at the first line because we have somewhere we're going. It says, And he said to them, When you pray, say. When you pray, say. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Some translation says, Our Father. The first thing ever, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, pay attention to this. The first thing ever Jesus taught his disciples in the place of prayer was to refer to God as Father. 
Not the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, refer to God as our Father. And this is big. Because up until this time, no one had referred to God as Father. So this tells us that first of all, prayer is a family thing. It's a son communicating with his father. It's not about a, 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 a slave trying to beg a big God to do something. I, I, are you following this now? Come on, are you following this? It says, come on, when you pray, what, what should you say? Our Father. Now, Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Galatians 4, 1. Now, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Pay attention to those two words. But he's under guidance and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage. While we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So when Jesus was telling his disciples, say our father, he was referencing what he came to do. What he was trying to tell them is, because I have come to the earth and I'm going to pay the price of redemption, you can now refer to Yahweh as Father. And listen to this, he's not only the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's now both your Father and my Father. So when you are now praying to God, it's not as much as you are praying through the name of Jesus. You are praying in his name, but it's not like it's through him. Because the redemptive price he has paid qualifies you now to approach God as what? As his son. You're no longer the slave that is under the law or the elementary principles of this world. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying what? Abba, Father. Crying what? Abba Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God. Now, Romans 8.15 For you have not received a spirit of slavery. Now, it shows that there is um, a way a slave will pray. Or there's a way a slave will react if he's, need, if he's asking something from God. It says, no, you're no longer under that. You're no longer under the law. You are no longer under the bondage of the elemental principles of this world. You are now a son of God. You're now an heir because he has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart. You cannot cry or you cannot say, Abba, Father. In Romans it says, for you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. Which means that the foundation of the believer's prayer must never be fear. Because if fear is present, then slavery is present. Are, are you following this? Hey, are you here? It, it cannot be fear. It cannot be because we are afraid of occultic people. It cannot be because we are afraid somebody will do something to us. You see, once you have that um, foundation, 
You haven't understood sonship. Praise God. Now look at what it says. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out what? Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. We are children of God. So the way we pray differs. It, 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 it should be different. It should be different. There's so much fear out there. Prayer is taught from a point of fear. It's taught from a point of, you know, I had the thing and I just told my wife, put this up. It doesn't make sense. We're listening to you. And the man said, you know, after I pray one hour, I go back to my bed and then something comes to attack me. Then I got up and prayed. I, I mean, are you serious? You finish praying one hour and then something had the F1 tree to attack you. Did you pray to Baal? You see, there are things that you, you should not, there are things that shouldn't happen to you anymore. I'm telling you, that I, I mean, that I finished praying and I went to bed and then witches attacked me. Where? Then that now spurs me to pray more. So now my prayer is determined by the, the attack of the witches. No. It says we have not received the spirit of slavery to do what? To fear again. We haven't received the spirit of slavery to fear again. Hallelujah. You see, if we do not go back to the scriptures, we will be more bondage in the house of God that we were when we were outside. Religion would put you in more bondage than Jesus came to set you free. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay. Now, let me say this. What should define our prayer life is that we are no longer slaves but sons. So when I hear you pray, I want to hear sonship. I don't want to hear slavery. I want to hear what? Sonship. I want to hear you pray like a son of God. I want to let... Now, I, I, I don't know if I've taught it here. Adoption, maybe I'll take time to teach it if I remember. Adoption is not like English adoption. That is not like English adoption where uh, maybe people are believing God for a child and they didn't have a child on time. Then they went, looked for you, carried you. No, 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 no. That's English. That's not what adoption in the Hebrew language means. It's way more than that. More authentic, more legal than that. But even at the English definition, even if we stop at the English definition, when a child is adopted already, he is legally your child and he has the rights. You know, it's only in Nigerian movies where after adoption, the woman will get angry, then tear the paper, then they will not be easy. You know, when you watch too much of those movies and you're reading this Bible, it doesn't make sense again. Just pray, Holy Spirit, don't tear my paper. Holy Spirit, don't tear my paper. I mean, I mean that's what you say, man. <laughs> you can't pray like that. But you realize that if, you're, if you adopted a child, if you have two children, you adopted a third child, that child can literally take other children to court. And if you have a proper legal system, he is 
equally your child. In fact, the child is your child. Let's just leave it at that. Are, are you following what I'm saying? Now, what is happening is that Jesus Christ is the firstborn among many brethren. What that means is that the response God has to Jesus is the same response he has to you. God does, listen to me, God does not love Jesus more than he loves you. It's the same love. And we will, we will talk about this maybe on Wednesday when we talk about what Paul began to pray. These are the things that Paul said, let's pray so we can understand them. This is what the New Testament believers should pray for. It's not the opposite of God is the devil. No. Mm-mm. It's not white and black. And I will take time. We won't go there. But gradually as we go, I will take time. Because you have heard that the devil carry injured. They were not fighting. So I said, Michael, the devil have started the devil have started to and then riot was in heaven. They go, Michael, Michael, holy land, throw him down, throw him down. You know, when you hear some of those eschatological positions, it, it's almost <laughs> Hebrews Hebrews nine. <laughs> things that we have heard in church without reading Bible. You know, when we have heard these things, we now look for Bible passages to fit it. It's not that we read the Bible and the Bible told us. We heard the story. Then we now turn the Bible to fit the story. Hebrews 9, 16. I'll show you something. For where a covenant is... Uh, let's go to verse 15. Uh, for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that since a death had taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. You cannot use the word inheritance without sonship or heir. Now, pay attention to this and listen very carefully. This is why I'm, I'm going to say a statement. It's plain. It's not controversial. But pay attention because then people miss it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is not the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. They are the historical account of Jesus. Because, Hebrews says it, verse 16, For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. So that means that a covenant cannot be ratified until the one who made the covenant is dead. So the New Testament cannot come into fruition except Jesus died. So even prayers that are within the context of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are still within the old covenant. So if you want to talk about New Testament prayers... It actually started from the book of Acts. Because at that time, Jesus had done what? Died. The Holy Spirit had come. We are now the sons of God. Are you following this now? Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what are they? They are historical narratives of how Jesus lived on the earth. But after he had died, we now have what we call the New Testament. That's why Jesus had to tell them to go to Jerusalem and wait, not to preach the gospel until the Holy Spirit came. Because what empowers the new covenant is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
And I've told you when he says, I'll send you another comforter, the word another there is alos paracletos, is another of the same kind, not different, another of the same kind. I would send you another of the same kind that would help you just as I'm helping you. Now, every believer, pay attention, must know that there is a difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. And so when I go to the old covenant to pick prayer points, I must pray them in light of what? The New Testament. I must not pray them in the light of a slave. I must pray, them. that's why you will not see, let them drink their flesh and, uh, is it drink now? Drink their blood and eat their flesh. You won't see that. You won't see Paul writing that. Even when you look at the judgment of God in the New Testament, it's highly toned down. The wrath of God is highly toned down. In fact, Peter says some people see the patience of God as if he's slack. Because it's under a new dispensation. And we need to pay attention to this because I hear people pray a lot by not rightly dividing the covenants. So Elijah is not your model of prayer. In persistent, yes. In choice of prayer style, no. If you want to look at New Testament prayer, then Paul becomes the perfect example. Are you following this now? Verse 15 says, Okay, uh, verse 17, which I'll just explain. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never in force while the one who made it lives. That's why I made that statement. The covenant is not in force. It is only valid when a man dies. The word covenant is also called testament. It's like when a man writes a will, you cannot claim a man's will except you are the prodigal son when he's still alive. It's when a man dies that the will goes into what? Effect. So when Jesus died, the new covenant got into effect. Now, pay attention to this. The old covenant was between God and Abraham. The new covenant was not between you and God. You don't have a covenant with God. It is between the Lord and Jesus Christ. God and Jesus. Jesus took your place. Jesus was your representative in that covenant. So you believe into what Jesus had done. Because I hear people saying, if you want God to do this with you, cut a covenant with God. And people say, I've cut covenant. Don't be cutting. Don't cut anything. Listen to me. You can't cut a covenant with God and keep it. There are many people here who say, oh God, if you bless me, your work will go forward. Let's check how much you have given to God since he blessed you. If it was coming out, they would have returned you back to poverty. That's the truth. I mean, let's be honest. There are many things we've had messages and we made vows to God that we keep. Let's be honest. Have we kept all of them? After you have had revival message, Lord, I will pray two hours until revival comes to Bonnie. They are still looking for you in the prayer room. So you realize that man can never uphold a covenant he cuts with God. I'm not saying you shouldn't have commitments and everything, but you see, what qualifies us is the covenant Jesus had with God. So in the New Testament, we believe into what Christ has done. We believe into what Christ has done. Praise God. Now, 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. One mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 and 6. 
So we know that there is one mediator. There is one man who stood between God and man, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So, the, the mediator of the New Testament, please, is God. Is not your pastor, is not your papa, is not your major prophet, is not your senior prophet. The one man between God and men is Jesus. We must keep it at that. Jesus is the centrality of the New Testament. Jesus is the centrality of the New Testament. The reason I also say that is this. When, um, when a minister begins to minister and results begin to come out, there is the tendency of man putting that man as a mediator between him and God. So you will now hear, I am praying in the name of the God of this man. No sir, don't do that. The God of that man is your God. The man is helping you to understand your God. The man is not a mediator between you and God. The man is teaching you. He is anointed to equip you to come into maturity. Not to drag him into the mediatory role again. There is only one mediator between God and man. And his name is Jesus. No man qualifies to come into that position. Because if... if, if am I going to fast? If Jesus taught his disciples to say, Our Father, your pastor must teach you to say, Our God. If Jesus say, hey, when you pray, when you pray, don't pray, oh God, Jesus, no, no, he says, pray our Father. Just talk to him, our Father. Then your pastor should be able to say, listen guys, when you pray in this church, say our God. Because my God is your God. The same blood was shed. And what's my role in your life? To tell you that he's your God. That's my role. So to, to make people pray in your name or in, you know, whatever, you know what I'm saying about, is it, it, not bringing them to maturity. It's keeping them mature because one day you will die. Now what happens? And that's why you see that sometimes people go to the grave of late ministers that they want to tap power. And all of this is ignorance. The man was alive, you didn't tap. Now that he's dead, he's there you want to tap. And if you're not careful, you start practicing necromancy. Uh, you have to be careful of these things. You have to be careful. Idolatry is not when you bow to a graven image. Idolatry is anything that takes the place of God. You've got to watch that. Paul, uh, John said, my little children, keep yourself from idols. He was talking about uh, graven images. And ministers of the gospel must ensure... That that doesn't happen. Because when Paul and, and, and the disciples performed miracles, what happened? They, they began to worship. They said, oh, the gods have come to us. And Paul says, no, 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 no. No, no, we're men like you. There's always a tendency of worshipping a man when extraordinary things happen to the man. It's in that man's responsibility to keep everyone sane. Are you still here? Alright. Now, let's look at this. Paul prayed extensively for the saints. If there was one minister who spent time to pray for the saints, it's Paul. Let's read a couple of scriptures. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I want you to note the words that Paul used. Now, 
We've come to the place in the study where words are important. Words are important. So pay attention to, to the words. Romans 1, 9 to 10. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how unceasingly, unceasingly, I make mention of you always in my prayers. So we see that Paul prayed for the saints always. Um, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 1 to... Sorry, Philippians chapter 1 verse 8. Thank you, Lord. Now, somebody say, well, but when Elijah was praying, he said, oh, where is the Lord God of my father, Elijah? I just told you that there are two covenants. <laughs> are you hearing that? Hey, there are two covenants. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit never stayed in man. You always hear the, the phrase, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon. The Spirit, man was not the temple. There was the temple, there was the uh, the ark of the covenant that the Shekinah glory of God dwelt and in between the two cherubs was the mercy seat where the blood of bulls was sprinkled to bring mercy to them. So in the old covenant uh, the spirit came upon probably one or two individuals. Okay? If we have the time we study the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. It came upon but now the spirit of God is resident and that's different. Are you there in Philippians chapter 1 verse 8? For God is my witness, how I, I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray. This I pray. Now, he prays for them. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 11. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11. To this end also, we pray for you always. We pray for you always. So you find that Paul uses the word always or sincerely, you know, continually to talk about his prayer for the saints. Um, we just read what? 2 Timothy 1.3. Go to 2 Timothy 1.3. 2 Timothy 1.3. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. As I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Can you see, can you see Paul's prayer life? Night and day. Are you here? Unceasingly, consistently, always making mention of you in prayers. So you find out that Paul had a prayer life. His prayer life was consistent. His prayer life was constant. His prayer life was unceasing. I want you to see that about his prayer. He says, night and day, I make mention of you. I pray for you, always, uh, constantly. Okay? Philemon 1, 4. Philemon 1, verse 4. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers. I, I, I mean, you, oh, dear God, you would wonder how rich the prayer life of Paul was. He was making mention of the Ephesians. The, the, the saints in Ephesus. He was making mention of those in Philippians. He was making mention of Philemon. He was making mention... I mean, he guy was praying for everybody. He had a rich prayer life. You know, most times when we tell people, I'm praying for you, we don't really pray for them. Don't tell people you're praying for them when you're not praying for them. 
You know, many times people say, I pray for me. I say, we are praying, you know, we are praying, you know, and that's the end of it. You, you consciously take out time and pray for that person. And let me tell you, one of the ways to pray for people uh, is to pray in the Spirit for them. Okay, praying tongues for them. So that when you don't really know what they're going through, the Holy Spirit can help you to pray for them. But don't delay. Once somebody say, pray for me. You know, most times I, I do that. When people, maybe I'm on the phone with someone, I say, please pray for me. I say, oh, what, what about? And they just mention something. I say, can we just agree and pray about it now? Most times, if it is convenient, they say yes. And we just agree and pray and that's it. You know, the prayer doesn't have to be long. I remember praying for someone one day. Uh, I think when the person shared the testimony here, and he said, you know, the prayer was not very long. You know, because if we want to pray for... <laughs> if we want to pray publicly, we want people to know, Father, my Lord, unchangeable changer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we go on. He said, call him names. Call him names that he cannot even understand. Say, yes, God, we are going to confuse you today. <laughs> Firefighter. <laughs> weatherman. And they say, praise him. Give God what he cannot give to himself. What, do you, what did you just say? <laughs> that there's something in this life God cannot give to himself? Oh, no. God can give everything to himself. Including praises. God can praise himself. Go and... Go and read about how God describes himself to Job. After Job made all the noise, then Job called him. He says, where were you when I did this? Where were you when I put this? I mean, God just gave him his CV. He said, let me open two pages to you. Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I created? Where were you when I flown this? Star? God, he can praise himself. And if God doesn't want you to praise him, he says, I'll raise up stones. All these cliches that are not scriptural, beware of them. That's why you now call God names that he didn't call himself. Oh God, you are Jehovah Jireh. No, it was Abraham that said, the name of this place, the Lord provides. And he named the place Ebenezer. Most of the names you ascribe to God were ascribed to places because of encounters that men had. It's not God that called himself that name. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The name of the place. Because you didn't read now, so you don't know the place. Jehovah Jireh, Ebenezer. He said, use your local language. Keep him. And then you now enter your I mean, my Yoruba brother. They will just go. go and then. Call him father. He doesn't want all those names. He wants sons. He wants children. It looks fine. It appeals to our emotions. So, you know, it's like we're calling those names. Calling those, say, hey, God, I don't turn them over. Ask him, what do you want? He said, I want car. He said, take car. You know? <laughs> no, 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 no. The greatest revelation of God on the earth is that we can call God Father. That's the greatest revelation. That's how he wants us to call him. Should we praise God? Yes, we will. But we praise him because we know that we're now sons of God. That, uh, do you understand what I'm saying? Nothing gives a father joy. Those of you who had children, what was the greatest thing your child ever said? Dada. Oh boy. When you hear that word, you now say, I'm a man indeed. <laughs> Somebody has called me daddy. And you know, that's what makes the women angry. Hello? 
That's what makes the women angry. After nine months, after labor, after breastfeeding, they are waiting for that child to start stalking. And then teeth is coming out. And then you are watching. And the first word the child says is dada. Like, my friend is mama. You know, because there is nothing like seeing another person in your image. Oh, glory to God. There's nothing like seeing a young child calls you father. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's the same thing to God. When Adam messed up, there was nothing God was looking for on the whole earth again than to see a company of people lift their hands and just say, Father. That's the greatest revelation. Let's not leave that to the one who fetches a, a, a water without basket or basket with water and water will not leak. The one who opens tap and tap will not run and water will come. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Just say, Father. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Those are manifestations of God, but He wants you as family. Imagine your child comes to the house and say, Mr. Hakim, let's use you as an example. You're an engineer, right? Uh-huh. Let's say your child comes and see engineer, 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 best graduating student. Eh? <laughs> Father to my mother, answer man, loaded man. You just say, okay, what do you want? Do you understand what I'm saying? But do you get, I mean, you will smile, but there's nothing like hearing your, fa- your child says, daddy. Oh, that, that, do you understand? That sense something. Even let's say your child has done all the evil in the world. And you're flogging him and you're beating him. And he just said, Daddy, please, I'm sorry. You see, it's not so much as the sorry as when you first hear, Daddy, I'm sorry. He connects to something. He connects to something. God wants us to approach him as Father. Are you hearing this? So Paul, Paul prays for the saints. What did he pray for the saints? Go to Ephesians. Let's study Ephesians. Did we read Philemon 1.4? Okay. Okay, yeah, we read that. Now, Paul's first prayer for the saints is in Ephesus. Now, interestingly, let me give you a quick background. If you go to Acts chapter 19 and verse 20 and Revelation 2.17, you see the history of Ephesus. Now, interestingly, and I've told you this, pay attention, when Paul says... Um, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God's power of strongest. No, that's Corinthians. Uh, Ephesians, what does it say? Uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. He wasn't talking about wickedness and devils. He was talking about the culture of Ephesus. Because Ephesus was a prosperous city. They had Diana, the great god of Artemis. Uh, she was, she, it, it was reputed that Diana fell from heaven. And was the source of prosperity. So when Paul got into Ephesus, he now began to confront, contend with the magicians of the great god Artemis. In fact, it's the seventh, it should be the seventh wonder of the world. The temple of Artemis then could take about 6,000 to 10,000 people. And so when Paul began to teach them about spiritual warfare, he was teaching them to confront the error that that God was perpetrating in that city, that's why if you go to Acts 19.20, go home and read it, that's why he had to take people to the school of Tyrannus and ensure that they were taught in doctrine. That's why if you study the weapons of our warfare very strongly, you will realize that most of the, we- the weapons have to do with the word. The helmet of salvation, the word. The belt of truth, the word. The shield of faith, the word of faith. The 
gospel of peace, the gospel, the sword, the word, the belt, the belt of truth. The whole ammo is the word. Everything about the ammo is the word. Hear the gospel properly, live the gospel, be guided by the gospel. So what I was trying to say is keep the word. Keep the word because what you are confronting is a principality, is a stronghold, is a mindset in people. So it's only the word of God that can dethrone it. Because listen to me, the devil has been defeated by Jesus. You're not fighting the devil. You say we're in spiritual warfare. The warfare is more of imaginations and thoughts that you need to take captive. That thing that keeps telling you you are under generational cause, that is the spiritual warfare. Are you following what I'm saying? Alright, we'll deal with that some other time. So that's the concept by which Paul comes in into Ephesians. Alright? So let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. I really want us to explore this prayer. Ephesians 1. We're going to do a quick reading from verse 1. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Are you following this? And don't say I didn't say the devil does not exist. I just said that he's been defeated. And we have the authority. Hallelujah. Okay. You say, oh, Pastor, what about those people that are suffering wicked, wicked things? It's ignorance. The day they come into the light of what I'm teaching you, they'll be free. The day they know their inheritance. The day they know the blood has been shed. The day they know the devil has been defeated. And they put the word of God first place. There is no, there's nothing the devil will do to you if you know God's word. Do you even realize in the Old Testament the devil could not touch Job until an edge was broken, even without the Holy Spirit? The devil was sharing testimony about Job. He says, that one, we can't touch him. That is Old Testament. So you are New Testament. The devil is playing Ludo with your life. Do you know Job was not doing all nights? Hmm? He was not doing all those things. He just walked in righteousness. Blameless. Kept his life pure. Because people say, even if your ways pleases the Lord, even your enemies will be at peace with you. The devil could not touch Job, even in the Old Testament. How much more a child of God in this day? You are just suffering unnecessarily. You are just suffering unnecessarily. Are you still here? Ephesians chapter 1, let's read quickly. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, look at how he addresses to the saints. He calls them saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ. Watch the positioning. Saints in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us. Now this is the blessing. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. So we are adopted to him. He's listing the blessings now. We are adopted to him according to the kind intention of his will. Remember I mentioned that. That God's will right from Genesis is that we will be sons. So this happened through Jesus Christ according to the kind intention of his will. To the praise and glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. The beloved there is Christ. In him Pay attention to all the in him, in Christ, through Christ, and all of that. We have redemption through his blood. By the forgiveness of our trespasses, 
according to the riches of his grace, underline the riches of his grace, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom, pay attention to that, and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. You see that again coming up. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, things on the earth, in him. That's the plan. That everything will be summed up in Christ. Okay? And also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. If you really want to dig into scriptures, read the scripture and see all the time God talks about his will, his intention, his plan, his purpose before the foundation of the earth. Now, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed again in him. With what? The Holy Spirit of promise. So the believer, listen to this, the believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit. You see, the fact that you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, you are sealed and marked as the property of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you get up and you are seeing marks on your body, just tell the marks, no more. I'm sealed by the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Alright, let's go on. Which is giving us a pledge of our inheritance. That's like a token. Okay? With a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise and glory of His name. What is he talking about? Spirit, soul, and body belongs to God. So the Holy Spirit is like a down payment. It's like a deposit to say, listen, I've bought this property. This belongs to me. Okay? Now, for this reason, I too. Having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, verse 16, now we're looking into the prayer, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers. Now, this is the prayer we're going to study. So we want to look at how Paul prayed for the saints. And then we start praying that over our lives, and why he prayed that. So pay very close attention now. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, he introduced him here as the Father of glory. May give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Observe the heavenly places, the second mention, and... Verse 3, when he says we have been blessed in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, okay. Far above, he describes the heavenly places, all rule. Now, pay attention. He says, Jesus is said at the right hand in the heavenly places, okay. Now, he describes that heavenly place. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This description of the heavenly places is where you are blessed. 
So this description is where you are right now. Are, are you hearing this? Okay. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Who is the church? You're the church. This is big. Which is his body. You're the body of Christ. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So let's analyze this prayer. I was wishing we had a, 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 a board to analyze it. So I don't know how we're going to go, but let's go to verse 17. So, uh, go to verse 17 for me. Let's, let's look up now, right? I just want us to analyze this prayer. Paul prays three things and gives us why he prays that and the three things he wants us to know. So, we're going to take it gradually. The first thing is that the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you what? What's the first thing? The spirit of wisdom. Number two? The spirit of revelation and the knowledge of Him. Number three? It's in. Number three? Pay attention to that now. Those are the three things. So, if you look at my study note here, this is what I did, right? I don't know I mean, if you can see it. So, if you look at my study note, you see three yellows. Spirit of wisdom, of revelation and knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened. What's the reason? Red. So that you will know. What are the three things you will get? In green. Why? In red. These are in accordance. So, we're going to break that scripture. I wish we can have... Can we have two verses in one? In, is it possible? Two verses... Together. Let's see if we can have two verses together if it's not too small. So there are three things Paul deals with. First of all, he prays for the spirit of wisdom. Now, the spirit of wisdom, First uh, Corinthians 1 24 30 says, Christ is made unto us what? Wisdom. So he prays that you will get the spirit of wisdom. What exactly is the spirit of wisdom? It's not so much the wisdom to get things done, but as the wisdom of knowing Christ. You see, because the gospel is foolishness. It appears foolish to the, to the earthly man. But in Christ, it is wisdom. So the first thing Paul prays for is the spirit of wisdom. He says, I pray that the spirit of you, you would have the spirit of wisdom. That's the first thing he prays for. That's the first thing he prays for. We can put it on the one verse if that doesn't work. Just put that. He prays for the spirit of wisdom. And the Bible tells us that Christ is made unto us wisdom. So the first thing Paul prays about is the spirit of wisdom. Then number two. Let's have that verse up. Number two, he prays for the spirit of what? Revelation in the knowledge of him. Revelation in the knowledge of him. He prays for the spirit of revelation. Now, let's look up now. Can we have the first verse? Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> this looks small. How many of you can read it? Oh, okay, it looks small, right? All right. Okay, but let, let's see. Uh, the Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Okay, now pay attention to this. It didn't just say the spirit of revelation. 
The prayer wasn't just the spirit of revelation. It tells us the specific revelation he wants them to have, which is what? Revelation in what? In the knowledge of who? Him. Who is him here? Christ. Christ. Now, the word revelation is the Greek word apokalopsis. The, the, the word apokalopsis means to unveil. This is what apokalopsis means. Apokalopsis simply means that this is my iPad. It's covered. Alright? Now, you can't see the iPad. So, when I say revelation, it means to pull back the curtain so you can see. That's what it means. Revelation does not mean deep. Something you don't understand. You say, you know, this age, we are entering into portals of immortality. I say, mm, look at Revelation. Oh, you are confused. The product of Revelation is understanding. Revelation in the Bible does not mean confusion. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That is why many preachers misinterpret the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is not about Antichrist. It's the revelation of Christ. If you don't read Revelation with the eyes of Jesus, you will see beasts. Let's leave that. Revelation means to pull back so that you can have what? A clearer understanding. Saints of God, it is not God's will to confuse you. God doesn't want to hide himself. You know when people say, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, and they stop there. It's not complete. He said, but it's now been revealed. God's intention, if God doesn't want to be complex. God doesn't want to be difficult to serve. God is not hiding himself. God is not playing hide and seek with us. Say, let's see if they will serve me rightly. Let's see if they will miss me. It's God wants, God wants to make himself known to you. He came to the garden and walked with Adam. God wants to fellowship with you. God wants to be your friend. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He don't just want to be a big God out there, you know, just seated with one big stick. He's looking, who goes in today? Who goes in today? Who goes in today? That's not God's intention. God wants his love. That's why Paul prays. We'll talk about that on Sunday. He says that you'll be rooted and grounded in the love of God. If you know the love of God, you, you, if you understand the revelation of God's love, you will not want to sin to hurt God. It's not that you don't want to miss heaven. Forget about that. It's not so much about heaven as, as it is. God loves you. And if you love someone, what would you want to do always? Please them. I've preached myself happy. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, pay attention to this. I'll show you a few things. That word knowledge is the Greek word epignosis. Epignosis means exact knowledge. Accurate knowledge. You see, Paul is praying, I want you to have a revelation of the precise knowledge of God. That is, know God for who he is exactly. There is, you know when we say there is no shadow of turning with God. God doesn't even want a shadow of turning with you when you understand God. Do you know that's what Job did? Of course, he had a bit of confused knowledge of God, but his conviction of God was so rooted. He says, I know my Redeemer liveth. It was not a sticker he bought from church. It was not quote of the month. It was a revelation. Why do you think that these people did not deny Jesus? My brother, if they carry knife now and come here, even me, I will live stream this message. I'm off. Do you understand that? What it will take for a man to withstand death 
It must be revelation knowledge. It's not Sunday school manual. It's, do you understand? So Paul says, I'm praying that you will catch this revelation. So the word epignosis means what? Exact knowledge gained through first-hand experience. Exact knowledge. By walking with God, you have an exact knowledge. Let's look at something uh, quickly. Colossians 3.10. He uses that phrase in Colossians 3.10 again. Thank you, Lord. We'll come back here. Colossians 3.10. And have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge. I want you to see the phrase he used there. To a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. So Paul says, I'm praying for you. That you would have the spirit of wisdom. And the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. Not in the knowledge of prosperity. Not in the knowledge of witchcraft or spiritual warfare. Him. Just know him. Know him exactly. You know the scripture that comes to my mind. You know the Lord says... The children of Israel know my acts. But Moses knows what? My ways. So we can have the acts of God and not know the ways of God. He says, for other prophets, I speak through dreams. He says, but Moses, I speak to him face to face. The Hebrew word there is payim. Payim means it's like you're so close to someone you can whisper and they would understand. He says, I speak to him face to face. So I don't talk to Moses through dreams. We are so close that I'll talk to him face to face. Exact knowledge. So Paul pray. That's, the, that's what we should pray for our believers. If they have the exact knowledge of God, it will shape their conduct. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It will shape how they work. Now, number three. Can we go back to Ephesians, please? Number three. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord Number three, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened. The eyes of your heart. You see, you know, sometimes people can be in church and they do certain things. I say, is this person not hearing the message? They are hearing with these fan blades. But their eyes of their hearts haven't received it. The word... Uh, enlightened is the word for tizu. It means illumination. The amplified version puts it well. It says, may your heart be flooded with lights. I, I like that translation. It says, it says uh, but have the eyes of your heart flooded with light. Let, let illumination come. You know, when you're describing something to someone, you um, what, what kind of thing? Now, when you're describing something, maybe you're, and the person is saying, mm, okay, I see, I see, I see. <laughs> have, you, have you had that? Huh? What's happening? The person's heart is beginning to get the meaning. He's catching what you're saying. It has moved from these fan blades to his heart. He's caught a revelation of it. He says, but, but let the eyes of your heart, let it be flooded with light. Let it be flooded with light. Let light come. This is what we should pray for believers. That your sister you want born again. That, that man you want to receive the knowledge of Christ. You no, know, pray that his heart be flooded with light. Greater revelation of God's word. Now, the, the Greek word enlightened is fotizo. Illuminated. Let's look at certain scriptures. We'll come back quickly. Let's look at certain scriptures. Uh, go to Luke 24. 45. Are you, are you learning something tonight? I didn't hear you. Are you learning something tonight? We should spend more time praying these prayers. 
Luke 24:45. Then he thoroughly opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. You can go back to my version. <laughs> All right? He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Do you remember these people? How many of you remember these people? Who are they? Disciples, brother Emmaus. Eh? Do you know what they told Jesus? Hmm? He says, Ah, are you a stranger in this town? That's the man they were talking about. He said, Are you a stranger in this town? You don't know what is happening. And you call yourself a man. That's my version. And they began to talk to Jesus about Jesus. See, this man, there was this man. What I'm telling you is true. And Jesus, you know, <laughs> the funny thing, let's look at verse 16. Verse 16, go to verse 16 for me, please. It says, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Many people are in church like this. They talk about Jesus. Do everything, but their hearts, no revelation knowledge. So, he, and they didn't understand the scriptures. You know, um, Nicodemus was a rabbi. He came to Jesus by night. And he asked him about the kingdom. And Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, mm, I'm getting it, I'm getting it. Okay, so what you're saying is that, okay, but in this thing, how will a man enter his mother's womb a second time? Look at how Nicodemus was thinking. Bible teacher. Jesus says, I'm speaking to you about earthly things and you do not understand. If I now talk to you about heavenly things. That was a religious leader who read the scroll. Had no knowledge about how one should be born again. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Okay, now go to verse 32. Luke 24, 32. They said to one another, Where not our hearts burning within us, while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us. So when the scripture was being explained, Jesus began to open their eyes. They began to understand. That's why you see, you have to pray that as the teachings are coming forth, the heart of your understanding will be enlightened that you will know, you will catch the revelation of Jesus. That's why somebody can sing, um, I mean, you know, someone can talk about, you know, the anointing. Greater is it as a man. He does in Christ. Quote all the powerful scriptures. Go home, see a cockroach and run out. I, I thought you said the greater one was on the inside of you. He said, yeah, that's most more. <laughs> I thought you just said you have the Holy Ghost. I, I thought you just said nothing can harm you. Say, life is wisdom. Are, are you following that? It means he has not caught a revelation, it means the eyes have not been opened. When your eyes are open, you will see. It's like an aha moment. It's like, you, wow, glory. Is this here? That's what happens. Now, let's read more scriptures. I want to finish this. Uh, Acts 16, 14. Acts 16, 14. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Look at this. A woman named Lydia from the city of Tyreta. Tyra, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. She was listening to the message. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. That means it would have been possible for her to listen to Paul. And what happened? Her heart is not open. You remember the man who was crippled, that was preaching? He says, and as Paul was preaching, he was listening to Paul. And Paul perceived the man had faith to be healed. What was happening? Heart connection. That's why when we come to church, pray that whatever is going to be taught that day, you would have the spirit of revelation. Hallelujah. Are you still here? Let's read uh, two more scriptures. 
First John chapter 5, verse 20. First John 5, 20. Spirit of Revelation. First John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we might know Him who is true. Look at that. He has given us understanding so that we might know Him who is true. You know, sometimes I talk to um, Christian singles and they will say, uh, Pastor, can somebody marry a good unbeliever? The man is very good, but he does not serve God. He's even, he's even gooder than... So... <laughs> <laughs> he's not only good at he's a king more than some Christians he's even gooder than some Christians can I marry him you just realize that that is a sister whose heart is darkened he, 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 she doesn't even understand salvation he, he doesn't understand salvation he does not even understand salvation so to him a morally good person is better than a saved person who is even struggling to get better he, he, because there is no uh, understanding of what salvation is and one of, the, one of the things we've done in the body of Christ that we need to begin to recorrect is not allowing people to go through doctrinal studies and the teaching of God's word. Because when we take the Bible and all we promise people, this will get, will get better, they don't see the need to even pray for this spirit of revelation. In the knowledge of him, pay attention, in the knowledge of him, it is precise. It's not spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Forex. It's in the knowledge of him. It's not in the knowledge of agriculture. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's so that you may know him. The God that redeemed you, you would have a greater revelation of him. Praise God. Psalm 119 verse 18. You know what the psalmist said? He says, open my eyes that I may behold what? Wondrous things from your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Let's go quickly. The three things Paul prayed for. Can I have the scripture back again? The three things Paul prayed for. The spirit of wisdom. The spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. And that the eyes of our understanding will be what? Enlightened. Now, praise God. Give me uh, Ephesians again, chapter 1. I want to show you something. Verse 17. Turn your Bibles there. Turn your Bibles there. Ephesians 1, 17. Now, it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, okay, may give to you what? A spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope. Okay, okay, okay. Go back. 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's the third prayer. Why? So that. Underline that. So that you will know. So that you will know. So the first three things is listed. This is why he's going to pray them now. So that you will know. Now we are going to see three things that will happen. Number one, so that you will know what? The hope of his calling. Number two, so that you will know what? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And number three, and what, verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Three things that will happen. It says, number one, you will know what is the hope of your calling. You can read Ephesians 4.1. He talked about the calling here. Ephesians 
He says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Every believer has got that calling. He says, I want you to know this hope. It was this calling that Paul had that made him to forsake all his credentials and say, I count all these things, but don't. Do, can, do you think a man whose eyes have not been opened, who has, you know, um, about Moses, the scripture says, he esteemed the suffering of God's people more than the treasures of Egypt. Who does that? How do you give up being a prince in Egypt to leading people in the wilderness? It must be that the eyes of your understanding has been enlightened. It must be that you know the hope of your calling. Are you hearing what I'm saying? How will you reject a well-paying job just because you are going to compromise your faith? You must know the hope of your calling. How will you reject temptation? So you, can, you must know the hope of your calling. If people's eyes are not open to this thing, we cannot, we cannot uh, micromanage people. Now look at this. It says, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? There's an inheritance God has in us. He says, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened so you will know that there is an inheritance in you that God even wants to inherit. There's something about you that he redeemed. That's why the angel says, what is man that you're mindful of him? That you crown him with glory and honor and you made him a little lower than the Elohim. It's not a little lower than angels. The, the, Greek, the Hebrew word there is Elohim. But they, didn't, they, they, they were not so bold to, to put it there. Angels are not above men. Angels are sent forth to minister to the earth for, of, of, of those who are called into salvation. Praise God. I said, praise God. We've got to know these things. They have to become revelation. Not just quotable quotes. Then he says, I like this third one. I wish we had time to do with this. I had this third one. He says, what is the boundless greatness of his power towards us who believe? This is the one place in the Pauline epistles where three strong adjectives were used. The surpassing greatness. The word surpassing there, or immeasurable, is the Greek word hyperbolar. Hyperbolar means to exceed. It's like there is a mark, but it goes beyond it. It goes beyond it. It's used nine times in the scripture. Used in 2 Corinthians 3.10. The glory that surpasses. It's used in 2 Corinthians 9.14. Surpassing grace. He used in Ephesians 1.19. Immeasurable greatness of his power. Ephesians 2.7. Immeasurable riches. Ephesians 3.19. Christ that suppresses knowledge. The word great is the Greek word megatos. It means something large. It's, it's like saying, <laughs> I want you to be able to understand the largeness, the, the, the surpassing greatness of his power towards you who believe. I want you to catch a revelation of the power of God that you carry just sitting there. You've got to see it. You've got to see it. Praise God. You've got to see it. And so that you can understand what's the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of the power, His power in and for us who believe. This surpassing power is in us. Let's go on. As demonstrated in the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him up from the dead. The same power in you is the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead. That same power. If you put it to work, you can't fail. Oh, If you put it to work, no, there's no power in hell that can keep you down. 
You know, one day I got a revelation of this. And I told myself, you know all those little things that happen to people? You are walking somewhere, you kick your leg, you are walking in the kitchen, knife will cut you. Those things don't happen to me. I just, I just got the revelation. My angels are strong enough to prevent these little occurrences. Some of you will hit your head. I mean, it's, it's just like you're going somewhere. Somebody will just trip you, spiritually. Kick, you kick all the stools in your house. What's going on? Start putting this power to work. Why are you always sick? Why are you always feeling headache? If you have to catch a revelation that the surpassing power, the same, that's why the Bible says, if that same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it will quicken your mortal body. It will bring life to it. It will revitalize it. It will cause the aging process to be stopped. But we have to catch a revelation of it. It's not quotable quotes. It's not the excitement. If you have that power in you, why do you fail? Why are you afraid of what man can do to you? A greater revelation. So Paul prays. He says, let your heart be flooded with light. So you can touch a revelation of this same power. That the power that raised up Jesus from the dead and put Jesus above principalities and power, it's in you. How can generational curse dwell with this power? It will, it, will, it will resurrect it. It will blow it up. It's the surpassing power. The exceeding greatness. Immeasurable and unlimited. This was what Peter knew when he says, Silver and gold have I known. There's something in me right now that's more than silver and gold. You know, somebody can have cancer and we can take them for chemotherapy. We can pay the best doctors in the world, but there's something more than that. There's Sasta. There's something more than that. It's the power of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. And the Bible says, You shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Your hands are not normal hands anymore. They are miracle hands. Your hands are not normal hands anymore. They are miracle hands. Peter says, Silver and gold have I known. But what I have, what confidence, what boldness, what audacity, what I have, I give unto you. He was so conscious of it that he knew I can dispense it. Glory to God. Hashtalamando. I said, glory to God. You know, I went, we went somewhere to visit someone and the person was in pain. And I said, are you having pains? I said, yeah. I said, don't worry. I'm a specialty in that. If I lay my hands on you, the pains will reduce. Oh, yes. 100%. Oh yes, I, I, I've caught a revelation of that anointing. I've caught a revelation of that anointing. That with the laying on of hands, we can reduce pains without painkillers. That, that mega power is there. And I'm growing this thing. I'm believing in this thing. I'm walking in this thing. That the days will come when cripples will work. That the days will come when blind eyes will be opened. That the days will come when the dead will be raised. Because it's in me. You remember that, that peak advert with Kanuankwa? It's in you, guy. It's in you. The Holy Ghost is in you. The power of the Spirit of God is in you. That same power that took Jesus from the grave after being dead for three days. Paul says, let our heart be flooded with light. That, that power is in us. It will drive sickness away from you. I said it will drive sickness away from you. It will cause you to have unlimited success. You see, when you catch a revelation of this, money will lose value in your sight. Because you know something greater. It doesn't matter what I lose right now. If I have the Holy Ghost on the inside of me, restoration is sure. 
Oh, glory to God. We are standing on your feet. Glory to God. Lift your hands and thank the Lord. Lift your hands and thank the Lord. Hallelujah. In accordance. Oh, brastelomo sakateila. Im rosisto baskeleis dolomande brates kuskalebate damande. These are the prayer we pray for the saints. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. These are the prayer. These are the things we need to pray. Can you pray that prayer by yourself very quickly? In the name of Jesus, I pray, I pray that the eyes of my understanding is enlightened. That I know, I know, I know my heart is flooded with light. My heart is flooded with light. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, the glory of God lives on the inside of me. The Holy Ghost lives on the inside of me. Every cell of my body, every bone in my body, every bloodstream, every organ in my body is inundated with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the anointing of God works in me. God's word is working in me to prolong my days. With long life, He satisfies me. Come and lift your voice and just give Him thanks. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Oh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I know the surpassing greatness of His power. I know the surpassing greatness of His power. That puts me over. That puts me over. Oh, if the Lord be for you, who can be against you? What can man do unto you? Glory to God. Let this revelation flood our hearts. Let this revelation flood our hearts. We cannot fail. That body condition is being restored right now. That sick condition is being restored right now. In the name of Jesus. Open my eyes. And I'll see wondrous things from the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Lift your voice and pray in the Spirit. The Spirit of God is infusing your body right now. Glorious things are spoken of thee. Glorious things are spoken of thee. Oh, we're no longer afraid of a devil. We're no longer running from the devil. We're advancing the kingdom of God. Everywhere we go, the light of God is shining. The light of God is shining. We are dispensing that incredible power. We are dispensing that immeasurable power. Thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for everyone here. There will be greater revelation of your word. Greater insight into your word. Greater revelation knowledge. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise God. Hallelujah. You can have your seat, please. Amen. We can do better than that. Thank you for listening to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. We encourage you to share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would like to hear from you. Send us an email info at pastormax.ng or you can call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.